this is the Rich Layer Podcast. I'm your host, Athena Rodriguez, and on this podcast, we have those unfiltered conversations on pursuing your best and richest legal career. So follow us down the rabbit hole from law student to rich lawyer, because your richest life is your best life. Welcome to the Rich Layer Podcast. I'm Athena Rodriguez, and this is the only podcast that helps you uncover the path towards becoming a rich lawyer by living on purpose. On purpose, rather than by accident or by someone else's rules that don't make sense for your life. And that begins with being the best law student that you can be. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Rich Layer Podcast. And I expect that you have had a magnificent week and have managed to sail into the weekend with finesse. I have my last final law exam for the uh, next week on criminal procedure and I feel ready to crush it. Now, when I was at the the Monash Business School last semester, my very last final exam was Australian taxation. Now, when when the platform opened, I had a look through the exam questions and my heart literally sank it sunk to my, my heart sunk to my toes. I could only remember how to answer half of each question and I couldn't remember how to calculate fringe benefit tax or whether capital gains tax excluded the sale of, of a Picasso painting. It was really distressing because I had a, I had a distinction average in that class and obviously I didn't pass the 45% hurdle mark for the final exam. Now, what is the difference between my criminal procedure exam that I'm going to be having soon and Australian taxation. Two things, preparation time and calculations. At the time, this was, this was back in June, I was working around 50 hours a week as a chef and I was also studying full time and it was a challenge. Somehow, um, I had a distinction average across my three other units except for taxation. I also studied the least for that exam because I was just tired. I remember feeling really crispy around the edges. The only reason I didn't cry when I knew that I did not crush that exam was that I had already accepted my offer to study law at VU and I knew that the world would continue to spin and that the sun would evidently rise again the next day. I feel really lucky that I've got plenty of time to figure out how to do my best during the this first year at the law school and I'm not toiling away in a restaurant earning a healthy wage in exchange for what is left of my soul. I would much rather read the Crimes Act Victoria without any annotations and summarize it in my own words than poach another egg or break down another boiler hen. I'm really really enjoying being uh, I'm really enjoying the the, the the excesses of being a student. You know, I get to read as much as I want. I get to attend all of my lectures. I get to ask all the questions. I can stop my assignments early and I can just be extra in every sense of the word in preparation for the final exam. And I also have time to to take language classes. I'm taking Russian and Portuguese this year and I get to figure out this podcast game. I get to go to the gym and I get to focus on becoming that person who is living like a rich lawyer in 2025. And this brings me to the topic of today's podcast, imposter syndrome. 
I had a bit of an imposter attack when I joined up at the gym recently. Now, I haven't been to the gym properly since before the pandemic. When I was a regular at the gym, I lived in Bali and I also lived at the gym. At the time, I, I was a member of three different gyms and I went to the gym three times a day like a really extra person. I was really fit and every time that I went into the gym, I felt like I didn't belong there because there, there just must have been some sort of mistake in accepting me as a member. Which mistake, I wasn't entirely sure. Now, I would, I would imagine it was, maybe it had to do with the large groups of men with really large bodies, uh, slamming weights everywhere and making lots of noise. And on the other hand, you had these like really slim women wearing, wearing very little clothing on the treadmills and like going up the stair machines. It was an overall feeling of like I had no right, no right to be there. And just recently when I joined up at the gym, well, it was, it's a bit over a month ago now, but I, I had the same feeling. I am by, I'm by no means overweight, but I know that sitting around all day reveling in the excesses of being a student and drinking liters of coffee every day is not particularly healthy. That's it's just not. I'm not as fit as I was in Bali, but I've been doing other things, but I, I'm also not too far off. I I passed this this particular gym that I've just joined up at. I passed this gym on the way to the law school. So I've had time to work up the courage to go inside. I don't know what it is about gyms. There's just this this type of awkward energy in there that tends to be, it, it tends to, it has the tendency to chip away at your self-confidence if you're not really aware of it. It's really easy to believe that everyone else in there is fitter than you are, they know what they're doing, and somehow they, they've got more of a right to be in that space than you do. It's almost as if you need... Um, to be stereotypically fit before you actually go to the gym. It's a really similar, it's really similar to the idea to where people go to a tanning salon before they, they go on a beach holiday. Maybe it's not such a thing anymore, but when I was younger, um, some of my friends, they would go to a tanning salon before they were going to go on a beach holiday. Or you've also got the group of people who feel the need to tidy their home before the housekeeper comes over and so I moved I moved into a building that's not it's not far away from the university and, and when I noticed that there was a gym not far away I would tell myself every day oh you know we should really join up we have time we'll join up I couldn't even bring myself to walk past past the gym because there were there were people in there who who belonged in there and they would know that I didn't belong in there. I justified this irrational fear by telling myself that exercising outdoors was much cheaper and that I didn't have I, I didn't have the right type of gym gear to go to the gym. So I would have to go shopping first. However, I'm really familiar with that trap. You know, the trap where you spend a lot of time preparing to to do that thing that you always think about and, and talk about. But haven't yet done because the timing just isn't right you know buying the gym gear the new shoes the perfect gym bag signing up for the gym membership and watching loads of body transformation videos leading up to january 1st and then finding other things to prepare for it's just part of the trap so i said to myself 
that if I was serious about joining up at the gym, I would start by consistently doing some type of physical activity outside one to two times a day, most days of the week. If I did that for two months, I could buy something new to wear. And if I continued for another month, I would purchase something and then I would join up at the gym. I finally had made an appointment to go take a tour of the gym and I'd signed up and I went back to work the very same evening when I knew that it would be empty. You would think that that was my first, that you, you would think that, that that my first workout at the gym was my very, like the first time that I had ever been to a gym in my entire life and then I had like a hundred kilos to lose. It was absolutely treacherous. When I walked in there, there were actually loads of people, mostly men, lifting weights. And I decided to hop on the treadmill. It was painful. I spent the entire time thinking about what other people might be thinking, how I didn't have any right to be there, how everyone would know that I hadn't been to the gym in over two years, and what they what they might be thinking about what they might be thinking about me because I was at this gym. And I wasn't at the much nicer virgin gym on the other side of the city. You know, my gym clothes didn't match. My shoes weren't new. Maybe I was using someone's favorite treadmill and they were, they were just too nice to say anything. You know, I should, should, should I be wearing makeup? You know, the list, the list kept going on. I was like, yes. There were other people in the gym that were visibly fitter than I was. For the most part, no one was making any eye contact and everyone had um, some form of airports in. There was nothing particularly threatening about the situation but I didn't care I didn't want to come back the next day and I was I was already regretting having signed up and having paid my fees well I decided to go back the next day after uh, sorry before my my 8 a.m. class this gym the gym that I joined up to it's a 24-hour gym so it was it was fairly empty at 5 30 in the morning but I felt exactly the same I was absolutely sure that someone was going to approach me and they were going to ask me what I was doing there. During during my second week, I remember walking in and it was super busy and I said, hey, you know what? I haven't had a single conversation with anyone. Everyone is busy working out and there, there just isn't any way that anyone could possibly know that I haven't been to the gym since 2018 unless I tell them. I've paid my fees. No one owns these machines. And the, the office isn't even staffed. You know? I belong here just as much as everyone else. And in that moment, it occurred to me that the idea of the imposter syndrome is really just a made-up concept. You know, It's that feeling where you enter a space and you feel out of place. Like you're the only one who doesn't belong there because you're not enough of this or you're not enough of that. I experienced a really similar thing on on my my first day of, of law school we had to I remember on the very first day we had to introduce ourselves and share an interesting fact about ourselves and by the time it was my turn to introduce myself I was already feeling like I had no right to be there and I was already way behind everyone else I, I could I remembered what my name was but I couldn't think of a single interesting thing about myself so what I said was that I love instant coffee you know, I suppose, I suppose my first day of law school was rather strange because I had I built an image in my mind of what I thought it was going to be like, and so I dressed 
like business casual and I planned every single part of the image that I wanted to project on my very first day. I thought that everyone else was just going to be just like me, you know, driven to be their best and wanting to become a rich lawyer. Well, I'm pretty certain that someone showed up in their pajamas and I also remember not being able to pick up the lecturer from the students and there, there, were, there were a few students who had just come out of high school and not everyone, not everyone in my class was studying law and there were also a few other people who were already working in law firms. It took some time to accept that law school isn't a place that you go to, it's more of a concept. And I felt, I felt that because of whatever thing, for whatever reason, I just didn't, I just didn't belong there. There must have been some mistake when, when they offered me a place to study law. I'm, I'm now halfway through my first year and that is clearly not the case. I belong there for two reasons. A, I've paid my fees and B, I continue to want to be there. Now there are two sides of this imposter effect. The first side is the one that you hear about in the media, it's the imposter syndrome. It's where you feel like someone out there, it's like, it's, it's like where you, you, you feel like someone is going to find out that you don't belong there and they're going to come up to you and they're going to say something. That, that aspect, that's a me problem. You know, it has to, it's a you problem. It has to do with your own self value in comparison to the perceived value of, of the space that you're, that you're entering. You believe that there's something inferior about you that makes you inadequate for, for that particular space that you're in. This is, it's, it's a real feeling and it's, and it's perfectly valid. It's also not helpful to lean on the idea that it's okay and that it's normal to live your life that way because it's a label that you can attach yourself to and you can hide behind it. You know, this, this, this feeling is extremely important when it comes to to living a rich life i know that there's some people out there who feel that the entire concept of being a rich lawyer is cringe and it's silly and it's unrealistic and it's just much more comfortable to not talk about being rich or um wanting to live a rich life because rich is a dirty word i'm certain that you don't feel this way because that's why you're here listening to the rich lawyer podcast so to figure out how to live a rich life as a lawyer, that's, that's what I want. And I know that deep down, deep down inside, that's what you want to, but perhaps you might be thinking that it's perhaps a little bit impossible because you, you just missed the boat for the rich life, but it's not true. If you secretly wish to, to live a life that's better than the one that you're living today or astronomically better than the one that you think it's possible for you to live, then you've got to find a way to get your head around the idea that there isn't a single place on this earth where you don't have a right to be if you haven't taken the steps, if you have taken the steps to gain membership to that space. That includes the Chanel shop on Colon Street. It includes the Monaco Grand Prix. It includes the gym down the street, the hair salon in Camberwell, that restaurant in Bondi Beach with the very attractive people and the very attractive dogs, or the organic food aisle in Coles. Unless there's a specific rule or piece of legislation that states that your presence is prohibited, you have a right to be there. 
when I was, I remember when I was backing, uh, I was backpacking around Vietnam. I had, I, I spent a couple of days at this resort that was, it was around 600, 600 Australian dollars a night. I stayed there because I had gotten really tired of sleeping in hostels and because at the time I was also sharing a room with someone else and I said you know what why not be outrageous just this once let's go see what it's like I will never forget walking into this resort I instantly felt out of place I looked like a dirty backpacker and I was afraid to touch anything and I was afraid that they were gonna kick us out for not looking like we belong there it was it was actually a really pleasant stay no one asked us to leave because I had a right to be there because I had paid, I had paid the right, I'd paid the price to do so. Now the the type of clientele that I encountered there was not the backpacking type. I, I the the backpacking type. I remember meeting um, a couple of lawyers from Sydney as well. I remember also secretly wishing that I could always have the option of staying at the the best place that I could afford and you know feel like I actually belong there. It's like, well, the answer to that wish is you simply must become a different type of person. And only you know who that person is. You actually have to want to enjoy the anemones in those spaces. If you if you want to be there because you want other people to see you being there, you just want to tell other people that you were there, you're not gonna you're just not gonna feel like you belong. It's gonna feel like you're pretending. No one knows that you think you don't belong there unless you tell them. Now, the the other side of this imposter this this imposter effect is that is it's it's not a you problem, and it's also real. It's not the the stereotypical imposter syndrome that you might be fil- familiar with. It's the type where you walk into a room, and you feel that you don't belong there because other people make it apparent that they don't want you there. You're, you know, you're excluded from conversations, you're criticized, openly criticized for your work, sometimes like a little bit too harshly. You, people talk over you and you just feel generally ignored. That experience can definitely make you feel inadequate. I had this experience as a young chef where I was already feeling where I didn't belong in the kitchen because of my age. I was I was a lot older than the average apprentice and it was also a really reputable restaurant. I, I, I could have worked through that normally as I just went on to gain more confidence in my skills, which I eventually did. But what made the situation even more challenging was that my colleagues behaved in ways that made it clear that I was imposing on their space. I was excluded from conversations, I was excluded from tasks, and I was excessively criticized when I made a mistake or even when I asked a question about how to do something um, on something that I I was unfamiliar with the process. This part of the imposter syndrome, that is, it's not a you problem, that is a them problem. That's purely to do with the dysfunctional environment. It's purely to do with the insecurity that others feel about themselves and that's not your problem. Why? Well, if other people are allowed to come into a space, there's gonna be less of the pie for them. Like that's a that's a fact of life. Some people just think that these these things are finite. I, I'd like to say that if this is your situation, you should do what you can to extract yourself from that situation 
and know that you don't need to be like them and you don't need to change in order to have what they have. You know, you're probably just wanting the wrong things. This type of behavior is tends to be typical in places where there's a lack of diversity and overall I think it's getting better, but it's also important to feel aware, to, to be aware that if you feel unwelcome in a space and it's not because you personally feel that you don't feel that you belong there, it's everyone else who has an issue. So acknowledging that and accepting it for what it is, is going to help you develop resilience for the future. But if you if you have the fortune to, to walk away from these types of toxic situations, please do it. If you have spaces in your life where you feel that you don't belong, that's a huge sign that you're not living your rich life and you don't need that. If, if this is the case for you, take note of that and begin to think about the type of person that you need to become so that you can say no to those things. There's enough of the pie for everyone. So is the imposter syndrome real? No. You know why? Because it's not a syndrome. It's not an illness. You are not abnormal for feeling insecure. No? This phenomenon, it's one of those things. It's one of those things about being a human being that seems completely irrational. But if you take the time to break it down into small pieces, you can see how it's pure fiction. We all experience from time to time. Like we don't belong somewhere for whatever reason because we feel inadequate in some way in comparison to other people. But are you really inadequate? Do you really need to look fit before you join up at the gym? Do you really need to be working at a law firm before you start your law degree? Do you need to know how to cook before beginning your apprenticeship? Do you need to be wealthy to go have a look at the merchandising in the Chanel shop? Or do you need to be wealthy to just walk into a Tesla dealership because you want to go look at the cars? No. And why would you? Now, if, if you've learned anything by now about the law, you'll know that technically you cannot break a law that doesn't exist. Yes, social norms exist and the sky is also blue. You know, if you want to live a rich life, it's best that you create one in which you feel like you belong because you want to be there. Not because you want other you want other people to see you looking like you have a rich life. And also remember that having more money doesn't automatically mean that you have better taste or that you're more or that you're better or you're more confident or more giving or anything. You know, those are those are things that you have to cultivate for yourself. There's, there's a, a really common expression that says money does not buy happiness. That might be true in certain circumstances. However, I'm certain that you know that not having enough money is a direct cause of unhappiness. Money is just a tool that's going to help you solve your problems. And how do you solve your money problems? You earn more money. And how do you earn more? You expand your skill set to the extent that others are going to pay you more or give you more for those skills or if they're solving a problem that they have and you're the only person who can solve that problem. If the only reason you're not taking the steps to lead a substantially better life as a lawyer than you were as a student is that you, you feel that you can't, you don't know how or it's not worth trying because um, you can insert whatever excuse you you can think of in, in the blank space, then you're cheating. You're cheating yourself in this life. I dare you to try. Time is going to pass anyways. Your future is waiting for you. So go on.
go on. And while you're doing that, make sure that you come back for the next episode. Uh, I hope that you have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have and that you feel confident that you can walk into any space and own it. You can find the ways to find the confidence to walk into any space and you can own it. If you have enjoyed our time together, please let us know on Facebook or Instagram at The Rich Lawyer. And thank you for being here with me today. And I know that you're going to be coming back again. And until then, remember. Remember that it's going to be all right because you're going to be a lawyer and you're going to be living your richest life. Bye, friends.